Welcome to the Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Freire, and I'm here to help you find, retain, and develop entrepreneurial leaders within your organization so that you can have a thriving business. Welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneur Podcast. I am your host, Ken Freire, and today I have the one and only Bill Stainton. Uh, he's a 29-time Emmy Award winner and Hall of Fame speaker. And today, the topic we're going to be talking about is the framework needed for innovation. But Bill, before we jump into the topic, there's not yes, a sir. lot of people who could say they were a 29-time Emmy Award winner. How did that come about? That's a fair question, Ken. One I get asked a lot. Um, for 15 years, I produced the longest running, highest rated, and most award winning regional comedy TV show in the United States. I uh, did it from right here in my, my town here of Seattle, Washington. Um, and we did pretty well. You know, we won, you know, together, all told, my team won over 100 Emmys. I was fortunate enough to win 29 of them. And, and the thing I learned from that, and watch this segue. You'll be impressed. The thing I learned from that producing a comedy TV show is we we had to be innovative every week, every you know, whether we felt like it or not. Yeah. Uh, so I learned an awful lot about not just creativity and innovation, but also leading a creative and innovative team because uh, that's a kind of specialized kind of leadership as well. So that's kind of where I started to develop those chops, and we had a blast along the way too. Man, I, I, I love that, Bill, because I know every time I've watched a comedy show, I'm always there be like, how do they keep coming up with this stuff, right? Like, how do yeah. they keep innovating and creating? And even today, I'm like, I'll watch something. I'm like, dude, these guys, you guys are excellent writers, excellent producers, just just constantly coming up with those things. Yeah. So for you, you know Bill- You know what it is? It, it's, and, and this will be applicable to what we're talking about also. When it's your job, when you, I was just talking to somebody about this uh, earlier this morning. When, when your job is comedy, you see everything through that filter. Like yeah. when you're writing it every single day, everything that you see, hear, touch, taste, whatever, you know, feel. Um, I missed a sense there someplace. Smell, whatever. Um, everything that comes in as input goes through two filters. The first one is, is it funny? Yes or no? Yeah. And if no, then can I make it funny? So <laughs> that's. So basically, you know, what you do every day kind of defines what you're good at. And we'll talk about that with innovation also. Uh, it's, it's a habit. What, whatever you do consistently is what you're going to get good at. Mm. And, I, and I think that's where a lot of people fail is just consistency, right? So this is a huge yeah. part of, of innovation. And, and I think, you know, the topic at hand, right, is the framework needed for innovation. But if we take a step back, there's actually certain myths to innovation. Oh, yes. What would you say are some top three myths to innovation before we could even lay a good foundation for the framework? That's a great question, Ken. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because the myths and misconceptions about innovation, I have found people believe them so innately that it keeps them from even trying to innovate because if they believe these myths, then they tend to think that, well, they're outside of the club anyhow. So, mm -hmm. you know, they can't get in. Um, the first, probably the biggest one, is that people believe that innovation is this is this lightning bolt that comes down from above and it only strikes the gifted few. You know, if your name happens to be Jobs or Musk, you know, then you've been blessed and, you know, you get to be in the special innovators club and the lightning bolt hits you. And the truth of it is that, you know, it's it's not a lightning bolt that's only strikes the gifted few. The truth is we're all the gifted few. We were all born with that with that spark of creativity and innovation, but because we don't use it consistently, because most of us don't happen to have jobs as comedy writers or comedy producers or inventors or something like that, um, we're not called upon to use it and we tend to forget that we even have it. So that's that's myth number one, the idea that it's just these these special gifted few, like either you're born with it or not. You're either an innovator yeah. or you're not. You're either creative or you're not. So that's the first myth. First, first, missed, first myth. <laughs> so you can see that, 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 yeah. that if, if, if you believe that, then you think, well, then I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to try because innovation is just not for me. 
Yeah. The second myth is that an innovation has to be earth shattering, world shaking in order to count. You know, if you don't if you don't invent the iPhone or the internet or a rocket ship to Mars, it doesn't count. It's not an innovation. And that keeps people from innovating also because they think, well, I, I can't invent the iPhone, so why be an innovator? One of the examples I used, and I know this is yeah, I know people there are people listening, uh, you know, not just watching, but listening. One of the examples I use is is a ketchup bottle. Um, I'll show you because you can see. You know, prior to 2002, ketchup grew in these bottles, you know, a ketchup bottle, yeah. and there was no way to get the ketchup out of the bottle. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that, Ken. You're yeah, too yeah, young you're to just remember. like stomping it. No, no. Yeah, you... and we tried for, yeah. you know, and, and, and we never actually tasted the ketchup because there was no way to get ketchup <laughs> out of the bottle. For 126 years, nobody could, nobody had ever tasted ketchup. You couldn't, you can't get it out of the bottle. Yeah. Until finally in 2002, some smarty pants at the H.J. Heinz company said, um, Hey, you know them bottles we got that everybody hates? What if, what if we turn them upside down? And now you go to the grocery store to buy ketchup, and it comes in these big bottles that are already upside down. You see, they're resting. It's 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 you know, if you see, yeah. if you go to the grocery store, you'll see what I mean. The bottle's been pre-upside downed for you now. So, and you know, those of you who have bought ketchup recently, you know what I'm talking about. You go there, and the ketchup is you know, the ketchup bottle is upside down and the label is you know that's the way the label right, is so, yeah. yeah so what was the big innovation there was it an iphone was it inventing the electric cars no it was turning a freaking ketchup bottle upside <laughs> down can you and i can come up with that it's just yeah. that we hadn't thought about it you know we just been frustrated every time we tried to get ketchup we were frustrated and that's what most people think they think well i guess this is just the way it is i don't like it but i guess this is just the way it is and that's, you know, that's, we could talk about that also, that, that mindset of an innovator. An innovator doesn't just complain, an innovator does something about it. So the first myth we talk about was believing that it's, it's the lightning bolt that just strikes the gifted few. The second one we just talked about is that innovations have to be huge and earth shattering yeah. in order to count. And then the third one's kind of related to the first one is that you, well, you have to be a genius then. I mean, yeah, you, you, know, you have if, to have an IQ over X or whatever. You're exactly. Like exactly. Whatever. Yeah. 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 You've got to have 140 IQ minimum to even yeah. think about being an innovator. Well, I don't know how many IQ points it takes to come up with turning a bottle upside down, <laughs> um, but I don't think you have to be in Mensa to do yeah. that, to come up with that. You know, so we can, we can, we can all be innovators and we are all innovators. We've just forgotten how and again we we've forgotten what innovation really is we think it's the huge things so any one of those three myths if you believe them you believe that well i, I guess innovation just isn't for me and my my mission my passion is to convince people that yes innovation is for you it's 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 easier it, innovation is easier than most people think hmm. and everybody can and should be an innovator because an innovator is innovation is nothing more than looking at a situation and saying how can this be better just like yeah. looking at that frustration of the ketchup bottle and instead of just going like oh i guess i'm not gonna have ketchup this is you know i hate this and going like huh how well how can i make this better can yeah. this be better yeah, that, and boom there you go welcome to the world of innovation as soon as you start thinking like that oh i don't much like this don't just stop there. Go on and go like, ooh, so what could I do about it? That's that's what the innovator does. You don't have to have a degree in, you know, molecular chemistry or anything like that or electronic engineering or yeah, yeah, like or engineering. Degree. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know but, what what kind of engineering it took to turn a ketchup bottle upside down. <laughs> Probably witches and pulleys and you had to know hydraulics. I don't know. I'm guessing not, actually. Yeah. No, well, you know what's fascinating, Bill, is that uh, a few years back on LinkedIn, I posted a a, a post, right, about right. me not being an innovator. I was like, man, I don't think I'm innovative oh. because I have all these friends, kind of going back to like number two, right, the shattering, like earth shattering innovation. I'm like, right, I can't come up with something out of thin air. Like, there's some people who right. are who are like that. I have right. friends who are like coming up with fifty thousand ideas, and I was like, man, I just know how to tweak things and improve it. I, I'm an improver, continuous improvement. There you go. And, and then a friend of mine commented back. He's like, that's exactly what innovation is. Like, yeah. why are you putting yourself in this box? 
So for you, well, Bill, I'm, I'm, again, just like we just talked about, yeah, you had a certain belief about what innovation was and what you were doing didn't fit that definition. Exactly. But it wasn't you that was off. It was the definition that was off. Mm. So, so how do you help people discover when their definition is off or, or when they're just not being self-aware that they're falling into these myths? Well, the first thing is letting them know that they are myths. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing, just saying, look, that's not what it is. And when they hear it from somebody who's, you know, an innovation expert, um, then they go, oh, oh, okay, I guess, I'm, I guess I'm wrong about that. And then you point out things like the ketchup bottle or things like that. That's like, that's what innovation is. But then if, if I'm working with a team, whether in a keynote or a, or a, a, a workshop session online, or, you know, in person, whatever, um, I'll start off with a really quick activity. See, innovation really is about con making connections. It's not the lightning bolt. It's, it's connecting. I, I call it connecting dots, hmm. which, you know, and the dots can be anything, ideas, experiences, other people, you know, whatever. You, you connect two or more dots that don't normally belong together. And wow, there's an innovation. Case in point, Steve Jobs, uh, as long as we're talking about Steve Jobs, yeah, you know, he and his buddy Steve Wozniak, you know, kind of dabbled in computers back when they were college age kids, right? Well, Steve Jobs also happened to have taken a course in calligraphy, which hmm. most, most computer people back then were not taking calligraphy courses. They were just taking computer courses and reading computer magazines, computer journals, talking to computer people about computer stuff. Steve Jobs happened to take a course in calligraphy taught by a Trappist monk uh, named Robert Palladino at Reed College. So when Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak decided to make their own computer, Steve Jobs connected two dots that already existed. Computers, computers already existed. Steve yeah. Jobs did not invent the computer. So he, uh, he, he connected computers with calligraphy, he, he, he asked the question, hey, what if we, could we invent a computer that could do calligraphy? Because huh. I don't know if you remember, you know, before then, computers, it was all just, you know, like, you know, on, an, on a, either a green or an amber screen. And it was yeah. just, you know, that courier type typeface. Um, so they, they invented the Macintosh and it could do fonts. I mean, fonts was, you know, that was, that was earth shattering. But what did he do? He connected two dots that were available to anybody. Computers. Hmm. Had, you know, were already there. Calligraphy had been around for thousands of years. Nobody had connected the two. So he didn't invent either of them. He just connected them and came up with that. So I, I ask people to connect things. I give them a list of words, just random nouns and say, you know, pick any two. Okay, those two. Okay, I'm going to give you two minutes to connect those words in any way you can to come up with a business idea. Um, I did this with a group just... Uh, um, Two days ago, it was a, it was a, I was doing a virtual workshop for, uh, um, uh, uh, doesn't matter who it was for. It's group, uh, yeah. it was, it was a corporate group and they picked bell and litter box, not knowing what I was going to do. Those just happened to be <laughs> yeah. two of the words, bell and litter box. I said, okay, come up with the, so they did, you know, one of the first ones they came up with was, you know, which was obvious one, you know, the, 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 you know, there's a bell that rings when the litter boxes, you know, needs to be emptied. Um, yeah. uh, but some people said, oh, maybe the, you know, litter box, you know, put litter boxes in Taco Bell so you can bring your cats into Taco Bell. Like, well, that's it's, what they did was they took the concept of bell and, you know, like, oh, but what else can a bell, what else is a bell? Somebody wrote something about, you know, my cat is the bell of the ball and like, you know, B-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. Yeah. You know, and these, these were not comedy writers. These were not marketers or artists or musicians. Um these were there was it was delivery people is what it was you know they don't necessarily consider themselves creative or innovative but and but and they started coming up with these instantly just because i said here's what innovation really is it's making these connections let's practice let's take these two words i mean it's, it's a stupid activity but it's like oh oh that's innovation well i can do that and that's what i love i love i love seeing the look on their faces when they go like oh oh well, yeah well that really that wow yeah i can, I can do, do that, that anytime exactly and so it's you know and and so you just start doing that and applying that to your life you start asking different questions you start looking for connections um and then you do it as we talked about earlier consistently because once you do it consistently your brain kind of gets the idea like oh oh we're doing connections now oh we're seeing cool things and asking how can i relate this 
to what I'm going through. Oh, okay, okay, all right, I can do that. And all of a sudden, your brain starts. It's like it's like when you buy a new car. I mean, this is, this is a you know a, a standard example, but you know, you buy a new car, maybe not brand new, but new for you. You drive it off the lot. What do you notice? Oh, my you gosh, just notice every car. Yeah, everybody. Same. Everybody has a green Toyota Corolla. Whatever. My goodness, there's so you know. Where were those cars before? They were there. You just didn't see them. Yeah. So once you learn this about making connections and seeing things and go like, ooh, that's an idea I could use. Ooh, that's an idea I could use. Ooh, that's an idea I could use. They're all over the place. You know, those dots are all over the place. But once, so that's kind of the key is just to get people to feel an example. You know, here's what it feels like to be innovative. And this is really all it is. Okay. Well, yeah, I can, I can do that. Yeah. So, so when you when you talk about these things, there it seems like there's uh, little innovations and big innovations, right? Yeah. The, yeah. What would be the difference there, right? Where, where where you have the little ones, where it's like, oh, you're just connecting dots, where and then there's big things. What's the difference there? It's really just a matter of scale, Ken. There's 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 very little difference in the actual um, process of mm -hmm. coming up with it, because again, innovation is nothing more or less than finding creative ways to solve a problem. Yeah. And problems come in all sizes and shapes. There are little problems and there are huge problems. Therefore, there are little innovations and there are huge innovations. It's just what size problem are you solving? What size opportunity are you trying to come up with? What size, what size event are you trying to, to influence? So, um, you know, if, if the problem is, you know, the president of the United States says we're going to put a man on the moon and return him safely by the end of the decade. Okay, that's going to take a pretty big innovation. Yeah. Uh, you know, because that's good, that involves a lot of moving parts and a lot of different people. If the problem is every time I take a shower in a hotel, the shower curtain comes in and wraps around me, makes me feel clammy. Well, what's the innovation? Oh, what if the shower rod were curved instead of straight? That's a great innovation, by, by the way, the curved oh, shower sure. rod. Okay, that's a smaller problem. It's a smaller innovation. Um, makes a huge difference to those of us who spend a lot of time in hotels. Um, but that's, that's really all it is. But the, but the thought process is the same. It's we have a problem. How can we solve it? How can we make it better? What can we do about this? Um, and, you know, you don't have to invent something from scratch. You look at, you know, you look at, in a lot of cases, who else has solved a similar problem? Ideally, somebody from completely outside the industry, because you want you want to get those those different ideas. But there are very few problems that haven't already been solved in one way, shape, or or form. Um, there are. I read an article. Uh, I'm, I, I I've forgotten most of the details, but it had to do with a. Uh, Swiss truck drivers trying to find the most direct route to get someplace like through the Alps or something like that. And um, for some reason, it was a more complex problem than, than you would think. What they did was they studied ants because ants have, a, you know, over millions of years have evolved a very efficient way of finding the most direct route to food and communicating it with all the other ants. So they, they talked to ant experts. I said, well, how do the ants do that? Oh, well, they do this, this, this. Cool. How can we apply that to our world? So they figured out how they could apply it to their world. So the Swiss trucking industry, or at least in this particular industry, this, this, this yeah. one faction of Swiss trucking industry, they use computer algorithms that are based on the biology of ants. So again, who else has solved a similar problem? Maybe it's ants. Maybe it's honeybees. Maybe it's somebody from a completely different industry who has solved that problem in a different way, you know, again, a similar kind of problem. And then you just say, well, what did they do? Oh, well, could we do something like that? I mean, that exact thing won't work for us because we're not ants. We're not this, but can we do something like that? Yeah. Yeah, we can. You know, you don't always have to come up with the brilliant idea. You can see what brilliant ideas other people have come up with and then just adapt and adopt. Hmm. I love it, Bill. So, so you've actually been alluding a lot to a, a framework, right? And the first part of the framework, it, it sounds like, is just being curious, asking the questions, right? Like, how yeah. can we make this better? 
Yeah, uh, and yeah. then and then just now you were talking about adapting from other places. What what is this framework or process you've been talking about? Like if we were to do a deep dive of it uh, for people to start innovating. Well, it's well, first of all you have to have to figure out why you're going to innovate because the innovators don't hmm. sit around. Most of them don't sit around every day going like, "Ooh, what can I innovate? What can I invent?" Yeah. Um, people who are really into innovate innovating, they look for problems to solve. That's mm. that's the first thing they do is like, "What can be made better?" You know what? And 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 they have that curiosity. Oh, so here's a place to start. Like, what bugs you? Like, what are <laughs> what are just what are the little things that bug you? You know, ah, I, I hate it when this happens i i hate it every time i go to a restaurant and this happens or i hate it when you know whatever whatever just the, what bugs yeah. you there, there's stuff that bugs all of us and again just like the ketchup bottle we just go like well i guess that's just the way it is okay well congratulations if you found something that bugs you you have found a problem step yeah. one is done you found a problem and then you you ask questions you know what what can be done about this why is this a problem because sometimes the thing that bugs you isn't the actual problem. Uh, one of the things I talk about in my workshops a lot of time is is um, it's uh it's I think it's a, it's it, I think it was a Japanese principle called the five whys. Mm. Uh, I actually say just like be a two year old, you know, yeah. Be a two year old. Just why 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 why? You're a parent. You know what I'm talking about. Why 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 why? Well, this you know I hate it when this happens. Okay, why does this happen? Well, it happens because of this. Okay, why does that happen? Well, happens because of this. Okay, why does that happen? And go back to like five whys, and then you get to like, oh, that's the problem we should be solving. Yeah, because although otherwise you're just you know I call it a band aid in a band aid innovator. Like you, you you innovate this, but that wasn't the real problem. Yeah. So so you know figure now sometimes again if it's something like you know the shower curtain or the ketchup bottle, it's pretty easy. But the deeper stuff may have a root cause. This is like mostly for for corporations and uh businesses you know, yeah yeah businesses that oh well you know we need to sell more you know we're we're not we're not selling enough widgets yeah okay, why aren't you you know you, yeah you can solve that problem you you can sell more widgets that that's easy just lower the price to us you know one penny per widget depending on you know, okay yeah you know, we can do that but why aren't you selling enough widgets well because uh our widgets only appeal to people you know 95 years old and over and they keep dying okay why do you would just only appeal to you know, so yeah. you know you go back until you get to like you know oh maybe maybe that's the problem we need to solve so yeah, maybe it's a marketing problem not a product problem or exactly. well marketers will probably be like it is a product problem probably but yeah yeah but still but 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 now you're asking the questions yeah and then you can also ask questions like okay well, okay, well how how do we innovate it we can ask questions like that well, what if what if we do just the opposite what would that do mm. Well, it'll be terrible. Why, why, why? But when you, when you ask different questions, when you ask different questions, you're forcing your brain to look at the situation differently. Mm. So sometimes I'll talk to clients and say, okay, well, how would you solve this problem if you only had $100? How would you solve this problem if you had $100 million? How would you solve this problem if it had to involve the color blue? Or how would you solve this problem if you had to communicate your solution to an eight-year-old? Hmm. You know, and it forces them like, well, and what that's really doing is just kind of shaking them up and forcing them to look at the situation a little bit differently. Because most of the time we look at our own situations the same way we always do. And so we come up with the same answers. Hmm. Or yeah. the reason I say sometimes look outside your industry to see who else has solved a similar problem. If we look within the industry, well, we're going to get the same answers the industry's already got. You know, if I make Toyotas and I'm having a problem with cars, and I look at, well, how is, you know, uh, how is Mercedes solving that? Well, they're solving it like a car manufacturer would. But, you know, ooh, how does Cirque du Soleil solve a similar problem? You know, whatever, you know, you figure something else like, well, what they do is this. Okay, how can we do that? Well, we're not going to hire trapeze artists, but they take a you know whatever. I don't know. I'm you know I'm just you know making yeah, brainstorming now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you start asking those questions, and you start coming up with really interesting answers. And then you then you have to kind of stay with those answers because it's easy to say, well, that's just stupid. Yeah, and you know move on, stop horsing around. 
Um, mm. And uh, there was a actually happened fairly close to me years ago um, in northern northwest Washington, which is kind of like it's a lot of forest up there. Yeah. And uh, back then they had um, telephone poles. Yeah, you, know, you don't see telephone poles that often anymore. But you know, but that that they had telephone poles, and uh, and you know the wires strung between the poles. And the problem was, we, you know, it snows a lot up there. Not so much in Seattle, but up there it snows a lot, and and it turns to ice and everything. And the weight was causing, you know, the weight on the on the uh, power um, lines was causing them to collapse. And it was and and there would be power outages all the time. Uh, because of because of that, because the snow would stay on the power lines and turn to ice and get too heavy and everything, and um, so they were trying to figure out how to solve this problem. And they were thinking, well, it's really oh, it was also expensive to solve and dangerous because you know somebody had to go out there and climb up each pole and shake, clean it off, yeah, yeah, clean it off and everything. And it was just it's very hazardous work and everything, and so. They were trying to come up with ways to do it. And during one of their breaks, a couple of the guys were just talking around and said, well, you know what we should do? We should, um, I guess somehow they were having lunch and they saw a bear. Like, oh, that's okay. That's, you know, we got to be careful. There's a bear. And somebody said, well, you know what we should do? We should just train the bears to climb the, t- you, know, you, know, you know, the telephone poles. <laughs> you know, if we, if we could just climb, climb the bear to do that, um, then uh, that would be, well, you know, yeah, but how do you, you can't train a bear to do that. Well, how how do we even get the bears there? That, that you know, to if they can't climb the pole or whatever. Somehow that led to the idea of we're doing something with a helicopter. And they said, yeah, 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 but the helicopters, you know, I mean, the vibration would would scare the bears. So I said, well, yeah, that's right. Helicopters cause vibration. What if? I mean, could the helicopters just hover and shake off? The, and that's how they do it now. They wow, do really. That's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. They use helicopters to go in there, and it shakes. The, but that idea came from a stupid idea. Let's get bears. Let's train bears to yeah. climb the telephone pole. Now, some supervisor could have come in there and said, "Stop horsing around that stupid. Let's get back to work." Yeah. But that led to an idea. It's a concept I call the idea that leads to the idea. Hmm. You know, sometimes the idiotic idea or the funny one or whatever is the one that makes people go, well, we can't do that. But, um, but you know, that gives me an idea and boom, now we're off and running. Yeah. And, and I think it's an improv comedy. I I learned this in a lesson, improv comedy ones where they do the, like when you throw out an idea, you got to say yes. And right. Like you're not allowed to shoot down the idea ever. And you just got to keep going. Yeah. And, And I love that idea. Yeah. And and you know yeah, what's interesting no- is that I had a, uh, a, a I had a group a team once that they were getting into like a negative, like that's never going to work, that's never going right, to work, that's right, never right, going right. to work. Yeah. Uh, and we were we, we were not winning at the time. And then all of a sudden I was like, <laughs> okay, guys, we're going to try this. And they're like, why are we doing any something from improv comedy? I'm like, because we're clearly we're shooting down every idea. We we need to stop. And when I started yeah. giving them the the like yes and and we just it took us an hour, but after an hour we broke through and we're like. We love this. Like this is going to work. We think yeah. it's going to work, and it was just yeah. our mindset shifted. So, and, and this is what you've been alluding to. But speak a little bit into like what what if you can the psychology of almost allowing those idiotic or funny or stupid ideas to to be the starting point for the idea behind the idea. Well, yeah, and and that is important because um, here's the thing: brilliant ideas don't necessarily look like brilliant ideas when they're first hatched. Hmm. You know, they look ugly and wet and slimy and, you know, and small and weak and all, you know, they, they, that's sometimes what they look like. Um, But the, but the potential is inside there, you know, inside, inside every brilliant idea is, you know, the silly idea that started it. Maybe not everyone, but you know, but that but that does happen sometimes. And the problem is we give up on the silly ideas because we think that's a silly idea. You know, come yeah, come on, time, time's a wasting. This is a, a lot of quote unquote leaders think, well, that's you know, that's that's frivolous. That's that's a waste of time and money to play with stupid ideas. Okay, but the problem is you're killing the great idea before it starts to look like a great idea. Yeah. Now, 
Will there be a great idea guaranteed? No, no. But if there is, you're never going to find it by shooting it down in its infancy. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, uh, Beethoven was probably an ugly baby. He was an ugly adult. You know, so we wouldn't say, well, let's just get rid of him. He's not worth anything. Let's send yeah. him off to a, you know, to a foster, whatever. Like, no, I mean, he, he grows into, into that. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where it begins. And you have to be willing to, to play with something. And look, there is a point where it's like, okay, there's nothing here. Yeah. Because at some point. Now, what that point is, it depends on every idea. And there are those who can say, well, no, you should never give up on it. In in a perfect world, maybe not, but you know, it, this is reality. But don't don't give up so soon on it. And here's another thing: when you you talk about improv, when people start playing yes and and being given permission to come up with the crazy, unrealistic, unfeasible ideas, a lot of times that leads to humor. Yeah, and. When all of a sudden you start laughing in this situation, the context changes because sometimes it's like so serious. We're not coming up with anything. This is terrible. This is a failure. We're not coming up with anything. But if all of a sudden you can start laughing together, then then that changes the context of a room, and yeah. it opens up that free expression, which is which leads to innovation. Yeah, and and as we've been talking about this framework, right? You you you've talked about a lot of things, right? Like curi- like being curious asking yeah. the right questions, figuring out the problem to solve, adapting. And now, right, it, it, you're talking about the culture, right? Like almost having right. a safe, joyful culture. Uh, culture. I felt like I said, I said cult. <laughs> uh, <laughs> joyful culture where you can be like, hey, you know what? We're going to just have fun with this, right? And and all your ideas are going to be accepted. Not that we're going to implement them, but we're going to accept them and we're right, just going right. to go with it, right? And we're going we're gonna to yeah. see what happens. Yeah, and you know that's that's a really good distinction, Ken. Um, this is there are actually three phases to innovation. Yeah. Uh, really, well, first there's also making sure you're solving the right problem, but there's three phases. I call it lights, camera, action because oh, that's I love my it. background. TV yeah. lights, camera, action. Um, lights. When you think of creativity, you think of you know, oh, a light bulb. You know, light bulbs going off, right? So the lights part is just is coming up with ideas. That's just the raw creativity. That's the brainstorming. I mean, brainstorming itself doesn't really work, but you know, but that's that's just you know, that's that's just the coming up with the ideas. So that's lights. And then once you have all these ideas, then you have to go to camera. What does a camera do? A camera focuses. So during the camera stage, you have to figure out, okay, we have 200 ideas. Which one or ones are we going to focus on? Which one or ones are worth developing and bringing forward because they they aren't you know you can't do them all so yeah. you have to figure out okay which you know which ones are we gonna gonna invest time money uh um energy into moving forward to the third stage which is action that's the implementation basically it's, it's ideation evaluation implementation yeah. so you know lights camera action coming up with all the ideas figuring out which one or ones being a very small number you're going to actually put into action and then it's doing the implementation you know making the prototypes rolling it out you know like you know here it is because until you do that you know you have have nothing of value i mean innovation is i I say innovation is turning creativity into money innovation Mm -hmm. is about creating something of value in a new and interesting way that's the creative part but creating something of value. Well, unless you actually put it out there in the world in some tangible form, you know, a book, a product, a service, whatever, um, it, you know, it's worthless. I wrote a blog about that once. I said, creativity is worthless. Innovation is priceless. Because creativity, it's, it's easy to come up with lots of ideas. And that's one of the things I work with clients on. Here's how, here, here are seven ways you can come up with lots of ideas. So there's lots of ways to come up with ideas. But then, you've got to turn it into something valuable or else you're just wasting time. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily a waste of time. You're exercising your brain and that sort of thing, but you've got to create something of value. Yeah. Well, Bill, you, you said so much great stuff there that, that I want to unpack and, but as, but we're getting ready to wrap up here, but I do want to hit on this two, two major questions. The first one is uh, you mentioned these three phases, right? Lights, yeah. camera, action. What have you found to be when it comes to a team, 
out of those three, which one do they get stopped at the most? Or they're like, they, they falter, that they should really focus on. Like, if you do this one, you'll kill it. Yeah, well, action. Action is the one that stops most people. Mm. And act, frankly, action is what stops most of us with a lot of things. You know, it's easy to come up with ideas. Yo, you know what I should do? I should write a book. You know what I should do? I should create an online course. You know what I should do? I should go back to school and earn my master's or my PhD. You know what I should do? I should learn Spanish. I should. Yeah. And then you don't, you know, that's all great, but that's not taking action. Yeah. I, I, I was listening to somebody over the weekend saying, you know, like deciding to lose weight is different than losing weight. Hmm. Deciding to exercise is different than actually deciding to exercise is nothing. Exercising yeah. is what's going to. So, um, so the, so the, uh, the lights part is actually kind of easy. Once you teach people how to do it, cause that's, that's the fun part coming yeah. up with the ideas. That's fun. The camera, the focus part. Well, there are just, th th there are techniques to do that. That's actually relatively straightforward. Um, as long as you have figured out what your criteria for measurement, your criteria for evaluation are in advance. And that's something I go, go through with my clients. Then you just kind of take each idea and run it through the machine and go like, does this, you know, does it fit all the, no, but okay, then it's out. Does this, then it, I mean, that's, that's a fairly easy process. If you've done the homework, the implementation, you know, the action part is tough because that's, that's the work part. You know, yeah. the others seem like fun, but that's when you got to like, Oh, now, now we have to, um, we have to actually make something. I, uh, one of my former writers, uh, on my TV show, uh, a guy named Bob Nelson, he then went on to write the movie Nebraska which not too many people saw, but it was up for every Academy Award possible, including his. So he's he's mm -hmm. an Oscar nominee for the rest of his life. He's an Academy Award nominee for Best Original Screenplay. And he was a phenomenal writer on my show, wrote great sketches. He once told me, he said, you know what I hate the most of all? I hate coming up with what I know is a great idea because up here in, you know, in my head, it's perfect. <laughs> but, you know, but it's not a full script. He said, but then I know I have to actually type it out and like oh and then this person says this and he says and as, as i'm typing it i feel like i'm typing all the funny out of it you know that, that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's the implementation part it's like it was such a good idea but when i'm now and i'm putting it down on paper it's just you know now that i have to actually assign words to people and all that sort of thing it's just not there and that's when you have to rewrite and everything but that's that's the implementation part you know come up with the ideas is, is that's the fun look it's a great it's gonna be a great idea and then and then you start making a prototype. It's like, ooh, it's ugly. It's, uh, you know, um, so that's that's the sticking point. And there are some techniques to get beyond that as well. Yeah. And, and I'm sure, and I know there's several books out there like 4DX, Execution Premium. They're always talking about execute, execute, execute. Right, How right, 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 right. The um, four, four keys of execution. Uh, yeah, that, that's four, another one. The four, the four disciplines of execution. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so there's, there's all those and, and I love those things, but, uh, you know, you alluded to something I want to talk about here, um, is that when you talked about brainstorming, you, you said something about brainstorming and it seemed like an unpopular opinion of what most people hold to when it comes to innovation. You know, there, there's, people say a lot about innovation, but yeah. it sounds like that's something you think we should stop doing. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Well, we should stop doing it the way we've been doing it or the way people think of brainstorming because when you think of brainstorming you think around about everybody sitting around a table throwing out ideas and yeah. it's just a free-for-all of amazing ideas here are here are some of the things that are wrong with that um there's a lot of judgment at a table like that first of all you're not gonna hear the ideas of your quiet people mm. your introverts your shy people um your new people, you know, like the people who are fairly new on the job and feel like, oh, I better not say anything. You know, you know, so, um, you know, the intern, you know, you're not going to, not going to hear that. You also, and this may sound like, like a stereotype, but you're probably not going to hear a lot of great ideas from the women, not because they don't have them, but because they're outshouted by the men, you know, in a typical brainstorming meeting, the loudest voices tend to win. And here's the thing, Ken, the loudest people aren't always the smartest people, you know, That's but true. eventually the quieter people or the softer voiced people think that, you know, well, why should I even try? So yeah. that's tough for that. So, so, so already you're missing a lot of great ideas. Yeah. Um, also 
if if the leader says, oh, I don't like that, or, oh, I like that, then all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, let's do, okay, that's what he wants. That's what she wants, whatever. So you're not really getting accurate information either. You know, the leader is tipping his or her hand of what they're looking for. It's like, okay, we'll just give that. That's not necessarily the best thing. Um, or if you do throw an idea out there, remember I talked about the idea that leads to the idea? Yeah. If you do throw an idea out there, everybody goes, oh, that's stupid. And it doesn't mean they have to actually say it like that, but, you know, it could be almost feel like that. It, yeah, exactly. You feel like that. First of all, you think, well, that idea is going, you know, nobody's going to touch that, idea, especially if it's the boss that says that's stupid. Yeah. First, they're you not you don't want to get fired. You don't want to get demoted. You like right. you want to make sure you have your job. Right. right. And so what have you just learned? I shouldn't toss out ideas. And yeah. first of all, that idea might have led to the million dollar idea if they had explored it um, or um, your next idea might've been the million dollar idea, but I'll be, I'll be darned if I'm going to toss out another idea. So that's not a great way to do brainstorming. A better way to do brainstorming is to come up with the ideas individually and anonymously. Like everybody write down. Um, you can do this online with like a Google docs or something like that. That's yeah. anonymous. So look, here's the situation we're trying to solve. You know, you've identified the problem. You've identified the question. And everybody just writes theirs. Or they come to the meeting with a typed out sheet of theirs, un, you know, not attributed to them. And you throw them all into the middle of the table. And everybody just grabs one. You don't know which ones you're reading. So you don't know if this idea, oh, that's a stupid idea. Ooh, but that might have come from the boss. So, I mean, it's like, you kind of have to be neutral. So I have found that at least when I was doing my TV show and we had, you know, writers and we had writers meetings, the best ideas, and look, none of these are universals, but the best ideas tended to be individually generated and then group improved. Hmm. So yeah, that's great. That's, that's the better way to brainstorm it. Do, do whatever you can to make it anonymous and then get together and talk about each idea because then, then you'll have a more honest I mean, the introverts will have submitted their ideas, the quiet people, the new person, the intern, and nobody knows where it comes from. So each idea is treated like this could be the one. Yeah. And, and Bill, you know what I love about that is that you have, you have almost two different types of or two ways of almost ideating, right? The first one is you're going to a team. And they, they, they have a hard time ideating. So, so you do all these exercises that you were talking about, right? Like, think about it this way. Do the yes exactly. and game, right? Like, right, right, right. Uh, right. What, yeah. So it, it's just giving them ways to exercise and recognize that they can innovate. But then what you just alluded to was like, here's the problem. Go solve it. Go figure it out. Take time yeah. for yourself to figure it out. And then we'll come back as, together versus, all right, right, free for all. You know, let, let's just go after right. it. Right, um, right, right. Am I right in that assessment? As I was, as as we're, we've been having this conversation here. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly right. And and when you do when you're doing the latter, uh, yeah. um, uh, latter uh, of you know here's the situation and you know go solve it. You have to give them parameters. Uh, you can't just say like how can we solve this and let, we can do it. Say okay, we need to solve this. You know we need to come up with a product that we can have on the market. Uh, by Christmas and it has to retail for less than a hundred dollars. Yeah. Okay. See people think, and I, I know, I know we're, we're getting to rate to wrap up, but people think that, that creative people don't like boundaries. They don't like parameters. They don't like limits. Like, no, just let us be free to create whatever we want. <laughs> no, they hate that. They hate that. They like say, create something that will fit in this box. I know we talk about thinking outside the box, but it's like, if I, if I, if I say to you, Ken, okay, Ken, I want you to do one of two things, your choice, either write a story, a short story about anything you want, or write a short story about a duck that wears a hat. Nine out of 10 creative people are going to jump at the duck that wears a hat because, oh, now I, that gives me a focus. Yeah. That gives me something to hang my, anything I want, that's too, too much. I, you know, I, I can't focus on, but a duck that wears a hat, in fact, and I would urge the people listening to this, as soon as I said a duck that, that wears a hat, you started th you started writing a story, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, I mean, as soon as you told me that, I was like, 
He's oh yeah, duck that wears a hat. I just started thinking. Is it a baby duck? Is it an adult duck? Why is the duck wearing a hat? Are all the ducks wearing a hat? I mean, your your brain starts you know starts coming up with solutions. It's I mean it's just it's just automatic. So you give the people. You give the people the what, and this is, this is how you lead a creative team, by the way, an innovative team. You give them the what. Here's what we need to solve, or here's the opportunity we need to come up with ideas to capitalize on. Here's, here's the what. So give them the what. Let them surprise you with the how. Hmm. Too many leaders say, here's what we need to do, and here's how we're going to do it. So go do yeah. it. And then you wonder why people are demoralized, especially smart, creative people. You've just yeah. you've just sucked all the joy. You know, you you talked about Ken about earlier that one of the one of the really great traits of innovators and creative people is curiosity. You know, they want to solve the problem. It's like if you have a three year old who's trying to stack blocks and he, you know he's getting it, he or she's getting it wrong. The worst thing you can do as a parent is is go over there and say no, do it this way. Well, you just suck the joy out of it. The joy for them is the joy of trying to figure out, trying to solve the problem on their own. Creative people love that, so you give them the problem. And let them surprise you with the how, you know, but you can't just say solve any problem you want. No, this is the problem. This is the situation we need to work yeah. on. And here are, here are some of the parameters. You know, you give them the necessary parameters. You don't give them all of them, but you give them, give them the necessary parameters. Like it has to retail for under hundred dollars, whatever. And, um, and then let that, and then let them figure it out because they will surprise you with the solutions. Yeah. And that's, that's the key to leading a creative team. Let them be creative. Let them give you the how. Bill, th that encourages my heart so much as someone who who's a leader and and, and wants to lead more people, right? And, and and do it effectively. I think you just succinctly just took this whole conversation and said, "Hey, you want to build a framework of innovation, right? Give them the what." Let the and and let them figure out the how, right? Like empowering yeah, yeah. And, people and, and, to go do and let the let them surprise you with the how. Yeah. Which means really being open to solutions that you may not have seen. So it's not like, oh, but this isn't the way I would have done it. No, that's the whole point. Because yeah. the way you would have done it ain't necessarily the best way. Yeah. And and there's there's uh more than one way to skin a cat. And every time exactly. I've actually heard that that phrase, I'm like, how how many ways have you tried to skin a cat before? But That's true. by the way, for those of you listening, you should not skin cats. Okay, yeah. we're not. We are not. We are not advocating skinning cats. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, but Bill, man, I've loved this conversation as we we talking about fun. building this framework. Uh, any last words uh, or any last thoughts that you want to give to the people listening about this on this topic? Yes, everybody listening is an innovator. The next time you run into something that bugs you, just, just don't just go, oh, that bugs me. Just take a, a, an extra moment and think, how could I solve this? And if you don't believe you're an innovator, ask yourself, how would I, if I were an innovator, how would I solve this? Because hmm. that'll trick your brain. Because your brain will try and answer any question you put to it. So, yeah. you know, how, how would I solve this? So that's, that's, that's one thing I would say. Next time you run into something that bugs you, even if it's just a little thing, like, oh, I stubbed my toe on that, you know, on that coffee table again. Well, maybe your innovative idea is move the coffee table or get us, you know, get a softer coffee table made of foam rubber. You know, what? Yeah, you know, I don't know. But, you know, come up with ideas and don't just come up with one idea. Come up with more because when it comes to innovation and creativity and innovation, quality is a function of quantity. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um. And also, just keep this question in mind at all times. How can I apply this to my situation? If you're reading an article that you wouldn't normally read or listening to a podcast and somebody said, listen to this podcast, like, oh, do I have to? But I'm not even interested in this subject. Listen to it with, an, with, an, with, the, with the open question of, okay, how can I apply this to my situation? Whatever your situation is, maybe it's a work situation. Maybe it's a situation at home. Maybe it's a situation with a volunteer group that you're working with. Maybe it's a situation with your elderly parents, whatever. But whatever situation you want to work on, how can I take this, even if it's a podcast on beekeeping in China? You know, and say, well, how can I apply this? Because if you really do say, how can I apply this to my situation? Your brain will try and come up with answers. Yeah. Let, let it. I love it, Bill. If people want to know more, 
uh, about you and and what you're doing and and probably it's just hard pick your to brain imagine a little that bit. They would, but <laughs> but uh, what's the best way to reach you, man? Best way to reach me is through my website, which is just billstainton.com. Uh, B I. If they know how to spell my name, they know how to get to my website. B I L L S T A I N T O N. I accentuate the I because people tend to leave that out. Billstainton.com. That'll tell you more than you ever want to know about me. But mostly, most importantly, it'll it's that's that's the portal to get a hold of me. Perfect. Well, Bill, thank you so much for for being a part of this podcast. Uh, I've loved it. I know my my audience is going to love it. Uh, and and most importantly, thank you, thank you for empowering all of us to be innovators. You know, when when there are leaders and people out there who are trying to squash innovation uh, inadvertently, yeah. you are being a spokesperson for it. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome, Ken. Thanks for the opportunity, and thanks for the podcast. I I love the podcast. Um, I, you get interesting guests, at least up until now you have, and, um, <laughs> you ask really smart questions. So, uh, thank, thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me play in your playground. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Bill. I've, I've had, an, I've loved all of our conversations thus far. I felt like you and I could just sit down for hours and talk, yeah. about, right? Like we'd be up till like three o'clock in the morning oh, if yeah. you wanted to. I'd, uh, so yeah. Totally Next agree. time we're in the same town, we got to make sure we, we meet up. But for uh, all of those who are listening, make sure you reach out to Bill. Again, that's uh, Bill Stainton, S-T-A-I-N-T-O-N. So BillStainton.com. Bill, thank you so much again. And for those of you who are listening, make sure you uh, tune in for the next episode and share this with your boss, your friend, your leaders, and tell them you need to go get Bill in your company to come and speak or do a workshop or do something because he will do a phenomenal job. So make sure you reach out to him and share this with a friend. With that, I'll leave you. I hope you guys have a great day. Thank you for joining me on this episode. If you like this podcast, leave a five-star review and share this episode with someone who will benefit from it. Until next time.